Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Like I took myself quite seriously in my drinking actually, I have to say. Because drinking, um, it gave me a route into the fact that I felt like, you know, I should be doing all these great things. I've obviously got some sort of a talent. Mm. I'm a burgeoning Marxist revolutionary who's going to free the working class community of Cork from themselves. Um, <laughs> but yet I don't appear to be doing any work. You know what I mean? I don't appear to be doing any reading. It's effortless. Uh, <laughs> It's effortless. How you're freeing them, it's effortless. <laughs> I'm a burgeoning Marxist revolutionary. And like, like, I hardly have to lift a finger. They're just freed. They're freed by virtue of unchaining themselves from their own capital. <laughs> exactly. While I get locked as exactly. Bill and the Boy. Exactly. <laughs> He is a comedian, a singer, boy, you should hear him sing, an actor and an author. Ty Kiki is also a longtime friend of the Mario Rosenstock podcast and indeed was a regular guest on the Sunday Roast, the radio show I hosted uh, a couple of years ago um, on Today FM on Sundays before we started this podcast. So on one of those Sunday shows around three years ago, Ty joined me for a long and fascinating interview about his recovery from alcohol addiction. What was particularly interesting was that he didn't just talk about how awful it was, and of course, much of it was. He also talked about some of the funny sides to that life and how, you know, it's possible to have good memories of some of the crack you got up to, uh, some of the stories that you ended up in. And even, you know, uh, how it would have changed your own personality and given you a better insight into maybe who you are. The way he talked about his story was so different to how we generally hear topics uh, like alcoholism discussed in the media. And it obviously caught people's ears. He was a breath of fresh air and still is on that subject. Because soon after that chat, he was contacted by someone in the publishing industry and invited to write a book about his life and recovery. That book is coming out very, very soon. And Ty joins me on this episode to talk all about it and lots more. We chat about addiction, drink and ecstasy, Twitter spats, because he's very big on Twitter, doom scrolling, colonialism and independence. Other than alcohol, it would have been my drug of choice, I think. Mm. And I suppose it's proven by the fact that it's now being used in, in medical trials for people with like That's PTSD right. and, and stuff. And psychosyllabin. Psilocybin. Psilocybin. Yeah, and they were my two favourites, actually. Mm. They were my, and I, I feel good about myself for that, like the one I came <laughs> to my drugs of choice. <laughs> yeah. I chose well, like, yeah, you know. Yeah. And he was kind of pointing out to me that a lot of my videos, like, you know, the premise, I'm taking sometimes up to a minute to really set the scene of what I'm doing you know like if it's like all the different countries involved in some sort of geopolitical 20 dispute. seconds dude <laughs> he's like the first second has to be very clear <laughs> yeah. and I'm like the first second what am I supposed to do like 800 <laughs> years of colonialism in a second <laughs> you know I have to make sure that the, the time that I have I'm using well like I suppose you know <laughs> <laughs> is, okay. is everyone just still thinking about doom yeah. wanking just for a second let, let, it, let it just wear off for a second <laughs> Okay. My full chat with Tyg coming up very shortly. After, of course, there's a lot of interest in Tyg, particularly down in the Cork area, uh, from some other interested um, voicemailers on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. Hi, I'm Mario. It's Brendan O'Connor here. Come here. How come you get all the brilliant guests with the amazing personal tragedy and redemption stories? I mean, Ty Kiki, he's brilliant. I could have had Ty on my show and said, you know, come here. How did that feel? I mean, you're a genius. Well done. Well done. Just keep it going. Keep it going. Maybe give me some of your guests as well. Thanks. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mario Boris Johnson here. Just checking in. Really enjoying Cadditch, Hickey 
and his, you know, hilarious, you know, recounts of, you know, trying to split up the UK with his activist speeches um, in England and beyond, you know, splitting, you know, England into London, you know, Cornwall, you know, Wales, the Orkneys. <laughs> I do enjoy comedians from the colonies. Huzzah! Ipso facto. Keep up the hilarity, my good friend. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Mario. Uh, Michal Martin here. Um, message for Ty Hickey, Greg Cockman, going forward. Um, uh, recently, I've been concerned uh, with the levels of drug abuse uh, going on in Dáil Éireann. Uh, stories of, 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 of deputies uh, smoking reefers in the jacks. Uh, other deputies dropping quaaludes just before important government votes. Uh, and even uh, a well-known story of a, of a senator, uh, a mainlining heroin on, on, on the floor of a car door in the house going forward. Could Ty come in and do a brief drugs awareness workshop in, in the Oireachtas? Uh, we're pretty strung out in here as it is going forward. Uh, thank you, Ty. So, Ty, you are one of the few repeat uh, podcast uh, visitors. Seriously? You have. Yeah, I am, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. We featured you on the podcast because you had been a friend of the radio show, The Sunday Roast, uh, several times because of your the, way, the interesting way you treat your own story, the fresh way you treat your own story. And you've never stopped since, so you're, you, you've kept going on. And um, except the difference is now you've just become a dad. Yeah, I became a dad. Well, I I have a nineteen-year-old daughter. I knew yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But this, there's no need to clarify that. I know yeah. you knew that. It was organically <laughs> going to be clarified. But um, but yeah, I have a new baby now, and it's mad. It's <laughs> like the, the the one thing I'm noticing straight away is I'm looking at people going like, I wonder how they slept. Like I keep looking yeah. at people and thinking, like you look to me now like you slept well last night. Mm. Do you know? Um, I didn't. Mm. Um, but other than that, yeah, the rush. Like I know it's a cliche, but the rush of love is just extraordinary. Like I don't really have that many jokes on it to be honest, because it's just brilliant. No. It's completely life affirming. It's and it's funny. It's I didn't think that I wanted to have another child. If it's okay to say that kind of slightly controversial thing, I feel like there's kind of something else. I just thought that like I I have an idea for myself and how I'd like my life to go, and then there's this other plan for me over here that may be something to do with a higher power like not to get too heavily spiritual too early but uh, I feel the more I kind of give in to this other thing uh, the happier and the more fulfilling my life will be mm. in my own head I'd like to be maybe in the south of France reading poetry in a cafe or you know <laughs> chatting up old dolls now a lot of your life Tig is concerned with creativity either being creative or even um, you like thinking about creativity you like you like almost discussing creativity so how has the, the birth of the, the new child affected your creativity um, really, I think it's been overall very positive because the first thing that kicks in is you can't waste time anymore. So I realise how much time I wasted, for instance, on like Twitter is just a good example because Twitter, unfortunately, has just been my bread and butter a little bit. Like I kind of, you know, did some stuff with RT early on and it didn't kind of work out great, which we may get into. Um, so like, you know, you built a great fan base, you're a superb performer, like you did it kind of the hard yards way, but you built up your following, you kind of didn't need social media in, in the way that I did. But like Twitter's kind of heaven and hell and you're on it, you've made your name a little bit, you're doing kind of well, but if you're doing kind of vaguely political stuff or slightly controversial stuff, you do kind of get lured into these kind of Twitter spats. Yeah, and um, I follow you, you're one of the few people I follow. So I after about 40 people, 
I stopped following people because I, I couldn't cope in my mind with the amount of Absolutely. traffic I would get. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I was following like, you know, the Irish Independent or the Guardian or something or Time magazine. But as regard humans, you're one of the few humans oh, nice that I followed. And uh, you have so much going on within your feed that I kept following you anyway. And, you you, you know, you're, you're nearly enough to be following. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're so uh, diligent. There's a lot. There's a lot going <laughs> on, right? Yeah, there is. Um, but no, you're right. That, that some of your material... Some of your material is very overtly political, and it's coming from a it's coming from a clear political standpoint. Yeah, that it, it, you get you then get lured, as you said, into these uh, these trash fights. You do, and you also just get lured into just scrolling, kind of doom scrolling. It can be your own negative comments. Like my my feed is comical now. At the I've moment. done it. I've doom scrolled. <laughs> Nobody you? believes you when you say that. Oh, of course, yeah. like of course. But there's just this. I mean, at the end of the day, it's addictive as well. So like, even sometimes you're not doom scrolling. You're just like, oh, what am I doing now? Or you're kind of, you know, for me, I'd be kind of like judging, you know, like, oh, that's not funny. You know, like, I don't like he, the way he did mm-hmm. that or or actually she's very good or yes. like just nonsense kind of stuff. Like yeah. it's all my old ideas kind of stuff kind of creeps up. Yes. And the point I'm making anyways, the birth of a new child kind of just puts a machete through all that a little bit and kind of says, well, you've got two hours here now, likely, before she wakes up again and gets sick on your new T-shirt. So you might as well make the use of it, best use of it. And that will probably be for me writing a sketch, pursuing one of the longer form projects yeah. I'm working on, writing comedy, like as, making material. That's what makes me feel, without being pretentious, that's what makes me feel uh, alive or something. Yes. Like it's creating work, like not... Uh, rowing with anonymous multi-digits on Twitter. That, that's not fulfilling at all. Yes, and you are a hard worker. You have a lot of output. Thank you. So you produce a lot of stuff and, and, and you know, that's, that's essential as opposed to doing one or two good, really good things and then wanking the, yeah. the rest of the time. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's, but, a, lot, wait, there's no. a lot. No, but there's a lot to be, there's a lot there's to, a lot be, said. to be said for wanking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's been a tough time for all Nobody's of us. Nobody's so. dissing wanking. Come down too hard. Doom scrolling while wanking. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. <coughs> wank, wank, doom. Yeah. I was also searching for doom wanking. Wank dooming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> dooming scrolling yourself. Anyway, so what you found is that it cuts through the chase tiger. Tiger. Yeah. And, uh, I like tiger. That, well, you do, you, well, you do a bit of tiger, don't <laughs> it's you? It's a very kinky chat, isn't it? No, you do a bit of tiger. Um, I do a bit of tiger. Um, um, you like the uh, fact that it cuts, th- the machete cuts through it. Yeah, so because... it makes you do stuff. Your time becomes more precious, I suppose. Again, it's an obvious kind of thing, but like you can't, you just can't, kind of can't while away time anymore or you would end up just getting nothing done and it is tough when you work for yourself a little bit like you you have to be focused my partner works in the same world as I do as well so like she is on maternity leave and she's primary well I mean we're both looking after Sive right now but um, you know I have to make sure that the, the time that I have I'm using well like I suppose you know <laughs> <laughs> is, okay. is everyone just still thinking about doom yeah. wanking just for a second let, let, it, let it just wear off for a second <laughs> Okay, so that's that, that's going well. Now, portrait of the uh, portrait of the piss artist as a young man is very much your book, and it's very much the uh, sort of the 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 novelette, if you like, of the stories you t- told me, among other people. Yeah, uh, among, and I hope you don't get bored with talking about them because you're one of the only people who's really fresh about talking about this. Not at all. No, yeah. I don't get bored at all. Um, like that's why I wrote the book. I didn't write the book because, um, for what it's worth, somebody, you know, approached me. Mm. Um, after they had heard me on your show. And that's where the conversation originally started. On the show? On your show, yeah. Originally. Really? Yeah, yeah. After that's we'd where had fir- this conversation. Yeah, because yeah, you were brilliant on that. Yeah, and when we'd, I mean, like, you were the first person to talk to me 
to do the kind of like, you know, what's the story with the old drinking thing? Mm. And um, they just said that um, they felt that there was an interesting point in the fact that Ireland, I was saying that Ireland knows a lot about alcohol, but nothing about alcoholism. Mm. Um, I just thought that was a, and they, they, they thought, and I agreed that it was a good premise for a book. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, so the book, I suppose, is about trying to get people to just rethink what it is to be an alcoholic or the alcoholic in your community or your family or your house or whatever like that we're just ordinary decent people we're not going to snatch pints out of your hand in a nightclub um, but more importantly we're mentally well sorry I'm uh, mentally unwell and I have to treat that mental mm. illness like any other mental illness Yeah. so it's like it's. I've always been quite passionate about bringing addiction in from the cold uh, in conversations about mental health it seems to be just left outside a little bit which is just bizarre I think how, how do you mean? Because I just don't feel that we have the same, like if I presented to you right now and said like, you know, I have a chronic uh, depression and anxiety uh, issue or I'm schizophrenic or, um, no, obviously we need to move further as well in terms of like being accepting about mental illness generally. But if I were to say that to you right now or anyone on a radio show or a podcast, immediately you'd have an awful lot of empathy and sympathy for that person, mm. I imagine. I wonder, do we have the same sympathy for somebody uh, who just says like oh I, I'm addicted to heroin or I'm yes. addicted to alcohol or whatever and this is why I'm acting out this is why I've left my wife and kids you know this is why I've done all these other things I think you go straight to and, and understandably straight to the drama of the consequences of the addiction without actually looking why the person might be addicted in the first place um, Yes. so that's something that I was just trying to kind of get into in the book or whatever yeah. so whilst there's loads of funny drinking stories yes because um, I never want to be like preaching or didactic. No, in any and this way is one or, of the you things know. you and I talked about. The yeah. uh, which I remember f- so well was that so many stories about alcoholism um, that I had experienced up until you spoke about it were were so dark. Yeah, and uh, they were all focused on on the negative. I mean, <clears throat> with respect, <laughs> with the greatest of respect yeah. to the two Naris. Right. So like I was on the two Naris podcast yeah. and they came on my podcast yes. and the two Naris don't mind it when I when I do piss take of them. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so like they would go like so. So James would go. So like Mario, like, not me, like I remember just crawling around on the round and like it was dark times. Like it was really, really dark. <laughs> and I remember like the powder on the round. I'm thinking that might be cocaine, like. I was at me lowest ebb, like. And look at me now. So, that, so basically the two Nari story. That's very good no, but now, So the two Nari fair. story is basically, it was so bad, but look at us now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So they don't emphasise, they emphasise, and rightly so, that their experience <laughs> was, 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 was really shocking. Yeah. Right? Whereas you emphasised, fuck, it had a, you know, obviously it was seismic the effect it had on my life. But Jesus, a lot of it was some crack along the way. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And like one thing the and lads, is, yeah. the one thing the lads would say and they, when I was on their podcast, I thought they made a brilliant point that I've taken with me afterwards, which is there's no point in saying, all right, they mightn't say it was great crack, but they'd say it was, and that's uh, an un- unintentional <laughs> pun. Yeah. Um, they would say that it was very useful, like it did a good job. So like James would say, for instance, that heroin um, you know, saved his life for a long time. Like that is a really important point to make, I think. And that re- how does he mean by that? Like what he means is because we agree, if we agree with the World Health Organization that addiction is a mental illness, then you're effectively kind of born with it. Maybe like if it's genetic mm-hmm. or it's you're genetically predisposed to it, or you develop it along the way. But either way, you have this mental illness before you pick up the substances. Yeah, and that's the key point. 
then you find yourself, as I did and as James did, a really troubled, bothered, anxious, uh, confused teenager. Then you find this substance and it takes all of that away, like straight away. Overnight for me, it was like becoming a superhero. Like I just had a few cans out the lock and cork and suddenly I was a new person, completely new. I had a new new way of thinking, a new mind. Um, so the point James is making, and I would echo it, is that if you didn't have that substance and you continued being the teenager who's confused and lost and lonely and mentally unwell and unable to reach out to anyone because you don't know what it is that's going on in your head, you don't know if anyone else feels this way, there's only one place that's going like and it's just going to a darker and darker and darker place. Mm. So James would say, and I would agree with him 100%, heroin saved his life for a period because it worked very well until it stopped working. Mm. Um, And in all that period where it worked very well, brilliant crack. Yes. Brilliant times. Mm. So, So I also try to make it clear in the book that it's not like, I'm this ill person, I find this thing that assuages me and then I'm okay for a while and that's the end of the story. It's more like I feel completely uncomfortable in myself. I can't put my finger on it. It's late 80s, early 90s, working class Cork. If I bring up in the house, do you know what? I feel really strange and anxious. People would be like, in fact, I did say something similar <laughs> to my mom one time and she said, go on away now, boy. I'm not bad enough without listening to that. And that was her gentle way of saying, we don't talk about this shit. Like, you mm. know what I mean? No, no, no. Like we mm. get on with it. Um, so yeah, so like, but I suppose what I'm saying there is like, you know, you you get your thing to take away the pain, but then you're also having great cracks. So once the pain was taken away, I was like super confident. Um, do you know, I was like hopefully kind of reasonably funny. I was the belle of the ball in early morning houses and parties around Cork. I was the Mario Rosenstock of the Cork <laughs> social scene, except... Do your Michael D. Higgins! <laughs> I would never do my Michael D. Higgins. <laughs> and my James impression wasn't quite as... Yeah. That's good, you know. But, but you um, know what? Sorry, just to say that though, um, about the James thing there, I, I did it for a reason and I've done mm. it on stage in Cork and everything and <laughs> and, and in Cork, like, you know, and I'm kind of risking my life because I know that they just, <laughs> like last week, they'd sold out Cork Opera yeah. House and I'm kind of going in there, am I going to get my head chopped off? But no, no. because I think they get the fact that, um, the, I get the fact that I'm, I'm not, if you like, taking the piss. Of course what not. I'm, what I am is, what I am is having a little bit of fun in, 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 in a very respectful way and, uh, they, you know, the guys have been really supportive of 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 me doing that, if, if you like, yeah. in their own little way, because it, it, because like it's the same thing as if you regard stuff like that as untouchable, yeah, and we must be very very priestly about it and very austere, and we must not talk. Then it's you're you're putting it in a place it doesn't belong. It defeats the purpose. Is, well, yeah, you should be bringing it in, bringing it in, and yeah. talking about it. You know, you can't be effective, I think, unless you're willing to take the piss out of yourself. Like, I'm aware. Yeah, exactly. That's I, basically it. Yeah. You know, I'm aware that like most things that I'm doing are ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's important to be aware of that. Like, I mean, I don't take myself as seriously as I used to either. Like, I took myself quite seriously in my drinking, actually, I have to say, because drinking, um, it gave me a route into the fact that I felt like, you know, I should be doing all these great things. I've obviously got some sort of a talent. Mm. Um you know, I'm I'm a burgeoning Marxist revolutionary who's going to free the working class community of Cork from themselves. Um, but yet I don't appear to be doing any work. You know what I mean? I don't appear to be doing any reading. It's effortless. Uh, it's effortless. <laughs> How you're freeing them, it's effortless. I'm a burgeoning Marxist revolutionary. And like, like, I hardly have to lift a finger. They're just freed. They're freed by virtue of unchaining themselves from their own capital. <laughs> exactly. While I get locked. 
as exactly. Bill and the Boy. Exactly. <laughs> but when what I a was drunk, arrogant position to be in. Exactly. Yeah. And that that's the arrogant is a great word to use because mm. most uh, alcoholics I know yes. in their drinking are phenomenally arrogant. Very much so. They're I got so that. arrogant. I yeah. get that, I get that. They're so cocky and they're so, because you you have to build up a kind of a thing in yourself where you're completely unable to look at your own responsibility uh, for anything. Yeah, yeah. And there's a natural and that's root an arrogance. arrogance there. And that's arrogance, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Very, that's very interesting. What about the um, your tolerance? How is your tolerance as a drinker? Like in terms of going and going and going? Yeah, like in terms of going, in, yeah. in taking it on. Like I was a binge drinker, I suppose. Yeah. So I wouldn't be a daily guy. I, I didn't know what was going on with those guys. Like I felt that <laughs> depression would kick in for me quite. And this is, again, it's I like the way you're even snobby as an <laughs> alcoholic. Oh, you'd be very snobby. No, I only like, what do you? I only like, I only like weekend people who kill themselves. I don't like daily look people. Look your man drinking every day, so What's wrong with you? <laughs> Fucking eat it. Oh no, look at this fool getting up at eight o'clock in the morning and drinking the whiskey. What an idiot he is. <laughs> Imagine being fucking snobby about killing yourself. So you would be like, oh, you would do you be. use a razor, do you? <laughs> fucking hell, who do you think you are? Roman? A Roman emperor or something? Just shoot yourself through the face. Like me. Fucking double barrel shotgun. <laughs> fucking prick. You know? You know the arrogant self defeatist. Absolutely, man. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> and like, yeah, there's only, I suppose, there's, a, there's me and my style, and then there's other people and their style in terms of the drinking. And like, for me, I felt like when I become a bit depressed that that was saving me like you know because I didn't have it in me to keep drinking indefinitely I don't think so I'd become a bit yeah. depressed after two or three days and then I'd stop that would which put was you brilliant yeah yeah. yeah 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 now you'd be suicidal as you say oh, like yeah. but it would be brilliant because it would keep you yeah. from b- absolutely destroying your body as well yeah listen you know? it's so interesting and I want to get a couple of stories actually because you know this is for the podcast listenership as well you know and I know you and I have talked about this a few years ago but um just a quick question about your 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 addiction, if you like, and that is: is it possible to see yourself as, um, let's say, Tig, right? And then you become Tig the addict, addict, and then after you, um, after you deal with your addiction, are you Tig again, or are you? Have you been changed by the addiction? So, in other words, you were sort of saying to me beforehand, it may be there may be a genetic predisposition to it, or genetic component. Yeah. So, is it? Is it is it like Tig, Tig the alcoholic, and Tig Mark one again, or is it Tig Mark two after you do? Definitely Tig Mark two. Okay, I feel for me. So I think it's like Tig, addiction plus recovery together. So they're a package deal, I think, because you yeah. wouldn't be able to recover from something unless you're in the shit from it. Mm. So they come together, and then there's a completely new perspective on it. So like I feel it all comes addiction for me all comes down to fear as well. So it's a it's a fear based. Um, activity like in order to quell the fear that's just inside you you don't know where it's coming from maybe you do some people do know I need to do a bit of therapy to try and find out where exactly it's coming from and even at that I'm like yeah that's probably a contributing factor but I just remember being like really scared from a very early age like and it would be kind of inexplicable and then the addiction kind of kicked in and then the recovery thankfully kicked in and at the end of that process I'm a lot less scared than I was originally which is the beginning of the problem you know, so it's mm. kind of like a new person. Also, like... A feeling, sli- slightly more bulletproof. I think so, yeah. yeah. Taking myself way less seriously. Like, enjoying being in the moment a little bit more. Like, 
I'm kind, I, I think I'm kind of less desperate to be successful as well. Like I was mm. very desperate to be successful around that kind of Marxist revolution time I was telling mm. you. Like going for no auditions, like doing nothing, mm. but like really f- like furious with people that were doing well. Mm. I'd want every new sitcom I'd see on TV. I don't know what you're like when you see a new sitcom or a new show or whatever. And I'm like, this is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. And if the person next to me also thinks it's terrible, that's great. Because it's just telling me that the general standard is really poor. All the new stuff is shit. If I were to get up on that stage, I'd show them all. Yeah, I mean, there's just this, but there's sense to that. I mean, there's a bit of that in all of us, you know. You just don't <laughs> so you want think like that too, that's you, what you're saying. Of course, you just don't want people to be getting too far ahead of themselves now and not leaving <laughs> you behind. So you're just, just as just as you've nearly caught up with them, somebody fucking comes out with this piece of shit and you're there, that's no good at all. And then everybody says, it's fucking amazing. And you're there, ah, bollocks to that. And now I'm 800 metres behind again. I think we're getting to a truth here. <laughs> Can you tell me the show you're specifically talking no, about? No, 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 anything. <laughs> anything anything I remember actually I remember Father Ted when it came out and uh, I just had no idea what it was about and I couldn't get it at all I thought it was shite wow yeah yeah and um, and and then and then I think I remember I think I remember then yeah I remember going along with the bandwagon <laughs> <laughs> just going the same as everybody else and then really much later going it's actually fucking brilliant Right. Way later than yeah, yeah, else. It's yeah. way later to yeah, see it. Yeah, it way is the type of show as well though. Oh, well, it took me way later. I'm just not great. At, I'm not great at watching things. Like I can watch stuff and I kind of get so much sort of, I sort of let it fly over me. I sort of almost, a wash over me. Yeah. And somebody goes, did you see that? Did you? And I went, what? See what? No. I kind of have a feeling that it goes over. I don't, yeah. don't analyse. Like my son, Dash, he's 15. And um, I remember he watched, um, I have this great thing. I don't know if you've done it with yours at all, but... Uh, uh, it's this thing of just watching movies with them since they were young alright so like when you were seven or eight yeah. and Ed this is, this is for you as well like seven or eight and you go what will I watch with them when they're seven or eight and watch a few things and what will I watch them when they're twelve and then you go they're fourteen and they go will I hit them with the will I hit them with this will I Jesus and then you know, they're really into this which movie are we watching next you know and I remember when I hit them with Scarface when we were 13 Wow, no problem to them at all right because Scarface is essentially a cartoon yeah. fuck you fuck 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 yeah. fuck 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 you need me and uh, all this sort of stuff and he gets it it's very cartoony but I remember when he was 15 just turned 15 to 14 I decided I'd go big and I'd go something I went one flew over the cuckoo's nest oh wow and uh, again went very very well but what struck me about Dash, who watched the movie, was at the beginning of the movie when Jack Nicholson um, is coming into the mental asylum. He goes, Ah, I know what's going to happen here. And I went, What? And he went, He's going to prove to all of them that they're not really that mad at all. And actually, they shouldn't really be in there. They should be treated far better than just being treated like mental lunatics. And the Indian guy, I'm not sure about him. I think he's going to do something. And I was just going, How did you work wow. that out? And of course, what happened was that uh, is that it's partly his generation. They're used to watching narrative in, yeah. shut, in such small form, such short form, but oh constantly God, yeah. and on games, in games, in video games, yeah. that they understand the concept of narrative uh, a lot better than their elders yeah. would. They grasp and they see, they notice the idea that somebody's in this for a reason, like games. Why is that thing there? Mm. They have a part to play. Yes. What's that part? 
So, for example, he said he'd come in and he'd say to me, Dad, your man is just an NPC. And I go, what's an NPC? Loving the loving the acronym immediately. You know, starting I'm laughing already. Yeah. And he goes, do you not know what NPC is? And I go, no, non-playing character. It means you're a fucking fool. What the heck? Right? And a non-playing character is the, is the extra in a video game who just goes, hello. <laughs> you know, the one that gets blown away yeah, by the yeah, cop. Yeah. So you're playing with your... There's a couple of other people playing as well with you. And there's like these tools in the background just they're just wallpaper they're called NPCs <laughs> what the and of course he knows the most NPCs main characters and stuff like that and so they drive they understand narrative far quicker wow. than I won't speak for you but somebody of my oh, age definitely. do you know what I mean yeah yeah absolutely so, so that was wonderful and um Jeez, I don't know how we got into that. Actually, on that, there's a friend of mine, he won't mind me mentioning, Dara Toomey. He's like a big star on TikTok. He's got like six or 700,000 followers. He's brilliant. And I met him for a coffee the other day there because I'm trying to get a sense of what the kids want, like, you know. And he was kind of pointing out to me that a lot of my videos, like, you know, the premise, I'm taking sometimes up to a minute to really set the scene of what I'm doing, you know, like if it's like all the different countries involved in some sort of geopolitical 20 dispute. seconds, dude. <laughs> He's like, the first second has to be very clear. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, the first second? I know. What am I supposed to do? Like 800 <laughs> years of colonialism in a second? <laughs> what do I do? Just get, just get an Ireland dot, an England dot. I'm, like, I'm taking that. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm out of one ideas. Like. Second. <laughs> one second. He goes, it has to be clear what's happening inside one second. I was like, yeah. otherwise they'll turn off. I was yeah. like, this is madness. Yeah. No, we have actually, to stop. And, and the thing is, he's kind of right. <laughs> it's not as if he's mad. And he was saying, I know here's the mm. most depressing mm. thing. Like, he's 28, right? And he was saying, I've lost a lot of my TikTok followers now. They're not they're not on a journey with me anymore, like, because he's too old. I'm like, oh, great. Nice one. What will I do then? He's run out of speed. He's, he's, just, speed, he's not like, fast enough. I'm languishing with all the hatred on Twitter yeah. now with my one-minute premises, like, you know. I know, Jesus Christ. It's desperate, boy. It's desperate. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Anyway, a couple of the stories, because Patrick gave me a couple of notes there. Uh, yeah. And uh, he was saying, Jim Morrison. I didn't know this thing. You had oh, this. I love Jim Morrison. So you were just fascinated with this. Pure fantasy as well, like, you know, because like, again, you're kind of a slightly troubled kid. You're living in Cork. You're overweight. You're spotty. Were you? Oh, yeah. I was yeah. a chubster. Yeah. All right, I, it's all in the book. All right. It's all in the book. Yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. As long as I've known you, you were... Yeah, like I, I would Very. have been eating my feelings, I suppose, oh. when I was a kid a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah, real chunky little guy. But, um, but Jim Morrison then was everything that I wasn't, I suppose. So that's where the kind of fantasy thing was. Like, I mem- remember my sister's uh, LPs and an American Prayer being one of them and pulling it up. And it, he's got that famous, you know, yes. picture where he's like this and the kind of Indian beads around his neck. Yes. And just looking at him, kind of going like, wow. I just fell in love, like, complete, just fell in love with everything about him. And the ant, I suppose he appealed to me on the anti-authority kind of thing. He just appeared to be doing whatever he, he wanted. He also had this kind of death drive thing where it was like, you know, fuck everyone kind of thing. Like, that was very appealing. Again, from an outsider's point of view, I didn't want to be like that. Like, I wanted to get good results in school and be a good boy. But, like, it was cool that he was doing it for me. Like, so it was a very vicarious kind of kind of thing, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I loved him. And also, and this is, I think, where kind of positive distortions can be useful. Like, I used to listen to a lot of door stuff going, geez, I'd love to be a singer now. I'd love to be a singer like Jim Morrison, like, because he's my idol. And I had no background, there was no background in singing. There wasn't, like, my dad had a nice voice, right? But there wasn't really music in the family. And I just joined a band in in school. And I was just like, I'm just going to be the singer of this band, like. And they were like, okay, nobody has stepped up to do it. Mm. And I definitely started, and I was pretty shit, like. I definitely was, but I just, yeah. Ah, well. Well, I know it's hard to imagine. Well, I mean, you're pitch perfect, so how could you have been shy? Mario, I Um, swear now. I swear, the first gig that we did, because I listened to a tape of it I mean, it you can sing Pitch Perfect as a falsetto. 
in fall, this beautiful falsetto, which I which we saw in in one eye and out the other. Yeah, and thank you. Yeah, I did start amazing. off shit though. You're an amazing singer. Yeah, I did start off mm. shit, but I think I willed being a decent singer into existence because mm, okay. I was so committed to the fantasy yep. that it almost kind of happened. Well, that's partly. Do you know? That's almost. I believe in that whole bullshit the visualization thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I believe if I, I, I believe I think they've they've kind of you know rudimentaryized it a bit in Hollywood. That if you can if you can see it, you can believe it. If you can if you can see it, you can do it. But what's what's that really is visualization? You need yeah. to completely picture yourself. Like if I'm doing a show, I need to. If you can't picture yourself walking onto stage nailing it, yeah, you are not going to nail it. No. You've got to fucking live it before you do it. Do you do that all the time? It's, Today, it's like, would you do it's that? It's forced into you. Okay. It's forced into you. You just go, this is going to be great. And you go, it's not you, an arrogant you talking. Of course. It's, it's, it's literally you projecting. You're projecting what's going to happen. And then you just follow that road. And would you have It's had... like as if you've, you see your other self walking on stage in front of you. Yeah. Doing it really well and you just go, you follow that guy. He's the guy that's going to do it. Yeah. But that's you. Don't follow the guy who's going to go out and be a mess. There's or no fall. point in that. Or yeah, fall. Yeah, yeah, or slip yeah. on the furniture. You yeah. can't, you know, or fall over the furniture. It's going to go well and you're going to do it like this. And it's the same in sport as well. Yeah. You visualise the hit of the ball or the... Do you mind me asking, did you do that for your whole career though? So when you were starting out, off in comedy particularly, yeah. say... Did you did you have a path in mind for yourself? I don't know what you mean by a path. Like, do you say like I I want to be successful and I'm going to be doing this by, by a certain age or I'm going to be well no that's a bit American yeah. actually I more mean I'm I'm brilliant to this and I'm going to be excellent at it I'm going to make a living out of it I'm going to be very successful yeah I think I think I think I don't know when I learned but I think I am um, reasonably early on I learned that the way to do well is to actually become as good as you can at what you do. Yeah. And then kind of let's see where the uh, chips fall where they may. Okay. And that's unfair as well because a lot of life has to do with uh, sleaze, Mm -hmm. luck, chancing your arm, getting to know people, cheating, um, faking, lying. Um, And if you're not good at that, you'll do less well. I have no problem. Yeah. I'll have no problem. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you can successfully lie or successfully cheat or successfully be duplicitous or two-faced, you can possibly get an edge. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I'm, 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 I can't do that because I find it hard to lie to people. And that's a nice thing I have that I pretty much would get found out. Yeah. I'd say. So my kind of theory was I'm going to get kind of found out doing that. So best stay with the straight road. Straight road is just do the 10,000 million hours thing. Yeah. Whereby you become, in your mind, you become so kind of thing, good at what you think you can do. Yeah. In, right? And that um, that gives you a kind of a confidence. Yes. And a kind of a, a dare I say it, a cockiness. Yeah. But the cockiness should be based on what you can do. Not a cockiness against anybody else or over anybody else. Yeah. Or to do with anybody else. But a kind of that little, that little thing you got. A little yeah. chip on your shoulder, little chip you have that, that you kind of go, no, I can do this. One early thing in comedy I got from Jerry Seinfeld, watching Jerry Seinfeld videos was to do transcendental meditation. That was very useful because uh, he's a big transcendental meditator. And the other thing was like where he got good at a stand up was when he stopped taking it personally if a joke didn't land. Like it wasn't an attack. The silence of an audience was not an attack on him. Now, I'm preparing for a stand-up tour at the moment. I haven't really done this before because I mostly do kind of theatre or comedy or whatever. The brutality... Of silence. <laughs> of silence. Yeah. It's, but it's so good for you, though. Yeah. It's Because it destroys you in the moment. Like, And I think it's good to be a little yeah. bit destroyed. And then you're built back up and you kind of go, OK, am I an awful person? Should I leave 
Cork like should I not have worn this yellow jacket tonight like what can I do I, I'm offering myself on the altar of retribution like yeah. but actually what's happened is I haven't explained my joke properly or yeah. I haven't landed a punchline and yeah. then the next day you're like oh that's what's that's yeah. what's wrong like yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting yeah but I do find that thing online is I will say though that Twitter the golden years of Twitter are over like Yeah okay let's no. just jump in there because um at the moment you're talking to me is very uh, opposite because you are extremely active on Twitter and you are an extremely skilled user of Twitter and in fact your work has been platformed mainly or a lot on Twitter totally. not mainly no because totally. you've done this fantastic stage work as well and now a book but um but but this this new thing for some of our listeners who might not even be on Twitter or for some of our listeners who are on Twitter and don't get this quite this new rate limit thing has been I mean first of all Elon Musk taking over Twitter is is seems to me to be a complete farrago uh, anyway yeah. yeah I mean to make it all about me for a second like mm-hmm. my reach on posts has decreased by about 90% now wow I can't say for sure that I haven't just around the time that he started that I suddenly became very shit in what I'm, I'm doing yes. you know that's a possibility yeah. And it's worth exploring for, I know. for the likes of ah, me. It's you too know? much of a coincidence now. But, but perhaps, but but I have found that myself and other particularly lefty kind of comics doing satire, um, your stuff is just kind of going further and further down the algorithm. Yes. And then even what's interesting is I know people who've signed up for the verification, which is a total, again, it's a poison chalice if you're putting yourself out there as yes. a kind of a vaguely left-leaning political satirist because you don't want to pay the man yes. the money. So you're stuck in this kind of conundrum a little bit. But even if you pay you don't seem to be doing that much better. So I am kind of talking to people a little bit in that regard. Uh, but what has definitely happened is I've gone from, when you're talking about like eight lovely comments, two negative comments there, like I would probably be at that ratio in the good old days of Twitter and yeah. the negative comments would be like loyalists or Zionists or Fine Gael supporters giving you shit but sharing your your stuff. So mm. it keeps on going on. It's yes. brilliant. It's a win-win. You yes. get a, a little a witty so kind of bit of a rage sharing if you like. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Now what I'm getting is like just absolute hordes of like particular Irish national party types um, kind of stalking everything that I'm doing and bringing it back to me being a kind of a pro you know a desperately woke comedian who is hastening the beginning of Sharia law in Ireland Um, and you just get like hordes of these comments and it feels like I'm also now seeing right wing like there's right wing conservative MPs and I'm seeing their Twitter feed and I don't follow them so he's kind of throwing up he's making it a kind of it's a great day out for the lads like you know if you're kind of right wing um, but it's a pity though it is a pity yeah my my instinct I mean my experience and my instinct tells me that through the years that I've that I've been alive and through the years that I've observed comedy that the human condition is probably best uh, made funny of by a left leaning sympathy however I've always when I when I find myself going down rumor road and being decided on something I always start questioning myself and then I start going is there a place or a room or a or a, or a man, an outlet or a, a future or a chance for um somebody who is more cons- of 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 humor coming from a more conservative framework do you know what i mean i think there would be but they'd have to have the ability to take the piss out of themselves as well to go yeah. back to what we were saying yeah. earlier like uh, some of the so-called right wing comics that are kind of they're like the tig when tig was an alcoholic <laughs> exactly no, they're doing a little bit more work yeah. i would yeah. say like <laughs> 
but there there doesn't seem to be that kind of like you know self-referential kind of element to it at all it's more like look at the state of the lefties yes. kind of thing and I think it's natural that if you think about it, like conservative politics or conservative culture it's about the status quo mm. and so comedy is, is always comes from a better place when it's looking at that mm. and it's taking the piss out of it yeah. it's satirising well, actually it. now that you mention it one of the things that's anathema to anything that's right wing in comedy is to, is is shining the mirror on themselves exactly yeah it's it, that's one thing it that's work true then, like, they, yeah. they, they never do it but they never have seem to have the um the the, comp, the the chops to go look at the state of us absolutely you know absolutely. even in joking yeah you can't even joke about that like i'm i'm trying to work on something about racism at the moment and me like you know talking about racism as a white you know lad in cork um, doing all this great I feel anti-colonial sketch work but like I'm hammering myself in the bit like it wouldn't be funny without me referencing the fact that it's ludicrous that I'm like <laughs> a new age Cork white man's burden going around telling all these black and brown people in Cork that they're being oppressed mm. you know what I mean it's inherently ridiculous yeah, yeah. what I'm doing like and I think that's a little what, little bit what's absent from um, yeah. co- from right leaning comedy but I mean can you think of any like superb right wing Comics, like it's well, hard to think of them, isn't um, it? Yeah, I mean, Bernard Manning maybe is quite skillful. I well, think, in obviously, brilliant. Chubby Brown, like. amaze balls. <laughs> but I mean, like in terms of the well, no, see the thing joke is, writing, like, you see, but you see, Bernard Manning and Chubby Brown are amaze balls in terms of I their performing totally and, and the way they pitch it. Yeah, it's the yeah, it's the it's the chancers that 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 that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right though. It's like Don Junior, right? Don Donald yeah. Trump's son, right? I mean, he would be like. Stage one right wing comedian. Yeah, you know, <laughs> as in, as in, if you if you looked at stage one as being the four levels of cancer, right? So, so Steve, I'm right be, there with you. Now he'd I'm be right stage one cancerous right wing comedian. He's no skill, but all he wants to do is own the fucking libs, man. Yeah, we yeah. fucking own them, man. You know, that's a, and that's like, is that even is that a joke? And he, yeah, he, yeah. they're laughing at that going, we own them. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so stage one of the cancer. So like, you know, then you get to stage four. I don't know what their names are, but they're quite skilled. But yeah. they're, 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 they're still not able to look at themselves. Yes. But anyway, Ty, you have so much to, um, to contribute to this conversation that I want to move it on, actually. Um, and just before we stop the addiction stop right because not not only are you not just about addiction as we've already proved in the conversation but it is one of your very interesting areas we never talked about the concept of ecstasy and is that something you're okay talking about of course yeah well tell me about it the drug like oh yeah yeah so you have you had let's say shall we say uh, extensive experience with ecstasy yeah that I mean other than alcohol it would have been my drug of choice I think Mm. because um I just loved the, I mean, the early days of it. I mean, it was, and, and I suppose it's proven by the fact that it's now being used in, in medical trials for people with like That's PTSD right. and, and stuff. Psychosyllabin. So, yeah, psilocybin. Psil- yeah, psilocybin. Yeah, and they were my two favourites, actually. Mm. They were, my, And I, I feel good about myself for that. Like the one I came to my <laughs> drugs of choice. Yeah. I chose well, like, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, early days, oh, we used to call them yokes in Cork. Yes. Uh, I think it's also in Limerick. In Dublin. Um, Really? The yolks, yeah. everybody called oh, them yolks. Oh, wow, okay. Well, the, 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 the first, yolks. Tablets like. Yolks, yeah, 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 yeah. yolks. I didn't know that now. Yeah, yeah. That's mad. I thought Not that was right, thing. Yeah. Yep. All right, fair play to um, you. Do okay. Even a stopped clock tells the t- right time yep. once a day, mm. uh, <laughs> twice a day. Um, but yeah, I like, used to love them at the start particularly because they just, unlike Coke, um, which I just 
didn't I didn't like it all because I had, as I say, this kind of flamboyant, fragile ego and adding something that gives you a flamboyant, fragile ego to that ego can, would cancel each other out for me. Yeah. Um, whereas ecstasy gave me a route into where I so wanted to So you became be. a personality vacuum with coke. <laughs> Just like, who's the depressed, deranged guy in the corner? Who's who, like weirdly arrogant. Who can't, who can, no, who's, who can't bear to look at himself. And <laughs> it's somehow shouting at me like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a confusing mix. Yeah, so you know, it's like yeah, it's it's kind of and and it's cancelled itself out. Oh, you'd yeah, be so yeah. cocky though. Like, I mean, you'd be cocky anyway. I think when you have that bruised little fragile ego thing, and then coke was just like, yeah. but 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 yokes would give you a kind of a route into the world where you wanted to go, which is just flooded with empathy. And suddenly everyone's your buddy, and you're dancing on the dance floor. And I was in in, in Edinburgh during the height of my yoke taking, and uh, there was a Brian Adams remix, uh, Heaven. Mm. was the sound of the summer at the time. Mm. It was this cheesy hit, but it Remember, was just yeah. like... Sure, it was number one for weeks and yeah. weeks and weeks. Every, every club Months. you go into, like, I tried to get into the trendy clubs and I wouldn't get in because I'd be too drunk or, like, my clothes would be all over the place or I'd lost my shirt one night and stuff and I was just walking around Edinburgh topless. So I'd end up in this, like, cheesy kind of clubs. And, like, everyone's your friend. It was, like, you know, beautiful summertime. Like, Edinburgh, was, I was doing a play in the Fringe Festival for the first time in my life. I'd arrived, like, it was absolutely amazing. I just didn't um, know then what I would find out later, which is that there was unfortunately a downside to absolutely hammering your serotonin supply every weekend for like about two years. Do you know? And that was presumably manifested in sort of depressed side effects. Yeah, anxiety actually. I've come to realise later later in life that when I thought I was depressed, I would be depressed, but I'd be anxious first. So it would be anxiety would be there first of all and that would bring a lot of shame for me because I felt like this is weird that I'm anxious. Mm. Being a man, being, you know, all this like bullshit in your head that you shouldn't be a certain way or again, not to make myself out to be Oliver Twist but the background that I had, there wasn't a lot of people in the pubs going, geez, I'm fierce fucking anxious today. You know, it wasn't something that you talk about. No. So I felt very ashamed to have it so I'd hide it. The more you'd hide it, it was like a pressure cooker effect. Yes. And the more it wanted to come out and then that would make me depressed that I yes. felt like I was somehow letting down everyone yeah. by being and, and anxious. Exactly. And the reason we're even talking about, or sorry, the way we're even talking about this is I think an amazing, it's a brilliant, brilliant um, step forward in Irish society and huge credit has to be given to people like uh, Blind Boy mm. um, for, for for platforming this on a regular basis, really. Yeah. You know, and just for not just like fools, like me kind of going yeah 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 we stick it in there for um, every so often because they like that kind of stuff he does it for a living he, yeah. he, he, he's, he's all in on this I'm constantly talking to young people Dara wouldn't mind me saying as mm. one of them that uh, he would say like th- that he played such a big role in his life when he was kind of you know a teenager and he was confused as to, like Dara said something beautiful I hope you won't mind me quoting him the other day he was like when I was like kind of 14 or 15 he was kind of looking for someone to influence him almost you know when you're at that age and you're like who's going to be my cultural guide here a little bit and he was kind of saying for himself he could have maybe gone down the right wing road like he, he didn't know he didn't know how he felt about anything am I a feminist am I not or whatever and he felt like listening to, to Blind Boy kind of just filled him with empathy and then he got into a good relationship and he found himself being like you know a kind of feminist along the way so so Blind Boy kind of like pointed him in the right direction in, in, a, in a way whatever and I thought fuck that is powerful like yeah. if that's your legacy like that's that's pretty good going like you know it is it is, it is. that's so, yeah. a legacy that's, that's a Dara to me a lot now I hope he's okay with all this Dara I love you 
that's that's all right, the legacy, yeah. So, listen, can I get on to a couple of other areas with you? Uh, as I said at the beginning, I mean, I do follow you on Twitter, so um, I, ke- I keep in, in, informed by what you're doing. And a, a lot of what you're doing, I do a bit of learning from as well, because I, there's a lot, so much I don't know about. And uh, you're very well um, informed about certain, you know, world events which you've which you've dug deeper into and you know for example you, you you've been you've, you've spoken at like welsh independence <laughs> <laughs> i followed your journey over this you got on your welsh jersey you went over and you spoke for welsh independence they all welcomed you yeah as this guy from ireland who's all about unity yeah uh, go on I mean that's a good example and I that's what I was thinking of earlier on when I said that I am aware that my life is ridiculous in a good way like one month I'm in Wales giving a speech about independence the next month I was at an economic symposium in Dundee um, with these kind of like older economists largely Presbyterian economists and kind of hanging out with them because I was opening up proceedings for them so I get asked to do these like it's ridiculous that I'm doing them. The events themselves are not ridiculous, but it feels silly to mm. me that I'm doing them. But I also believe in them. Like, I believe in Welsh independence. Uh, I love the Welsh people. There's all these beautiful organic connections between Wales and Ireland that aren't really, because Wales is kind of the afterthought of the British Isles a little bit. They certainly feel that way. And I think it's true in terms of the funding that they get from the Tories and whatnot. And even Ireland doesn't kind of think about its rich roots to Wales as much as it would with Scotland for instance so I believe in all that stuff but I also find myself doing them ridiculous and that that's a that's a good melting pot to be in because then you're not taking yourself too seriously and imagining yourself as some sort of reverse St. Patrick um, going over to the Welsh <laughs> <laughs> reverse St. Patrick <laughs> to deliver them from themselves here lads know? has anybody seen any snakes <laughs> could you jump into me car I'm heading back to Ireland here he is guys oh, p- brilliant <laughs> but, the one uh, we've been waiting for <laughs> yeah but they're lovely Like, and you know what it's, uh, without, and it's very delicate to not sound patronising but because I've done some sketches that would include uh, the Welsh perspective They've reached out and the love, it's, it's kind of, it's a mutual loving because they feel so forgotten about a lot of the time. Like whether it's like English comics or Irish comics or Scottish comics, yes. they feel a bit forgotten about. And I would never forget about them, I don't think, because I'm just obsessed with the British Isles and that, you know, the, the interplay and like Brexit and all that kind of stuff. And Wales is at the forefront of my mind. So it's a, yeah, it's a loving. I like, find that fascinating. And it yeah. also opened my eyes to... Uh, I suppose something that had been barely in the back of my mind years ago, but the idea that, for example, Cornwall has, you know, wants an, has a movement towards independence. The other day, the Orkneys, yeah, on yeah. TV, the Orkney Islands, going, lads, is Norway available? Yeah, you know, I thought that was brilliant. It's brilliant, isn't it? They they want to apply for Norwegian territoriality, mm. uh, which is totally the wrong word. <laughs> Territoriality. That sounded good, though. That's a great white shark who wants to kill you. Did you ever see Jaws? It's called territoriality. What does yeah, that mean? It was quite Trumpian, actually. Oh yeah, yeah, but it's, it, it's because territoriality is where I first heard the word. Jaws was a territoriality. Oh. Yeah, when 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 they go territoriality, what's that? <laughs> it's when the great white shark eats everything it sees and it doesn't want you in its place. Oh yeah, yeah. Get out yes, of my yes, area. Yes, yes, so yes, um, yes, yes. so uh, Wales, Cornwall, uh, Orkneys, but London. Yeah. Well, there's always been, um, well, not always, but uh, post-Brexit, Londoners, I think, would find themselves um, culturally distinct from from England anyway, you know, and it's such a melting pot, such a cosmopolitan city, as you know, um, if you spend any time in London, I suppose th- it comes down to as well, what is it? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. What, is, in- what is England? Yeah. What is oh, England? Yeah. You know, because like, 
the the northerners I spoke to somebody from the Northumbrian Independence Party which is an emerging party and you're smiling and <laughs> I started like smiling I see, yeah, but, but like they have I'm from the Northumbrian <laughs> Independence Party <laughs> but I tell you what right and this is my pet theory Labour is such a shit show in England at the moment yeah. that there is a wide open gap for, for somebody who would vote for a progressive truly left-leaning version of Labour and as we all know, like the north-south divide in England is eternal. Like in terms of the funding that they get, they find themselves as as forgotten about as Wales in many ways and Scotland in many ways. The Northumbrian Independence Party, you're laughing now, right? But what I will say is that Twitter's not the world. They have like 40 or 50,000 followers on Twitter. They're running candidates in local elections now. Mm. It's a real thing. They're a registered party. And if Ker Starmer keeps going the way he's going, which he obviously will because he's lurching further and further to the right, yes. it'll either be them or there might be some new party will emerge because I think there would have to be some sort of a meaningful left-leaning opposition in England. It's unthinkable that there wouldn't be because there kind of always has been a soft version of that. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, Northumbrian it's Independence. So interesting, it's, it? It, it's so interesting, isn't it? It's so interesting. But, but um, just to branch <laughs> out slightly there, but one of, the, one, of the, to, to, one of the things I find interesting about UK politics is how uh, Jeremy Corbyn was somehow almost completely wiped away from the uh, history books mm. in 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 Britain um you know from a position where he had you know i mean Jeremy Corbyn as long as i've known who Jeremy Corbyn is <clears throat> i I've, I've known somebody who has championed the worker the 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 underpaid um the the health system the nurses, the train drivers, um, and and then reached out and had this huge popular movement that resulted in pretty much the, the highest level of Labour membership memberships in yeah. history. And then there seemed to have been a huge turn against him mm. by what you can only describe as I don't know the 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 people with the stakeholders in British society who just went, we can't have this guy exactly. Yeah, getting exactly. anywhere near the reins of power. It's worth your listeners listening to an inter- a recent interview with him on Declassified UK on their U- YouTube page. He speaks for about an hour and a half and he details the process of the propag- propaganda against him. But it'd be from the, the upper echelons of British society, like mm. the military. Um, yeah. Like the, the, uh, he was, Declassified. As you said, Declassified mm-hmm. UK. Yeah, that's what it's called. Mm. Um and he talks frankly uh, as somebody who doesn't see he hasn't gone away he doesn't see himself as gone away but he's aware that the interviewer is kind of saying you've kind of been put away like you know how how do you feel that happened and he details it so clearly and so calmly as well like he describes the the media in the UK these days as supine um that nobody's actually challenging the the prevailing narratives um and he has fallen victim to that but because he's such a person i think of of integrity he doesn't see it as an opportunity missed for himself to become more powerful or a leader. It's that he was doing all this work with all these marginalised groups, as you say, um, and that's all cut to shreds now because, as you say, he just became too powerful. I think the moment, myself, as an armchair politics fan, the moment that people were cheering his name at Glastonbury, I think that must have sent shivers up the spine of the British establishment and from there on in and it very clearly there's an Al Jazeera documentary series as well called The Labour Files um, which detail the fact that the anti-Semitism thing then had to become that was the the smoking gun even if it wasn't the smoking gun it's now becoming the smoking gun we've got to take him out I mean anybody I think with a a brain or a heart 
that would really think that around the time that Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn were vying for the new for the prime ministership of England of Britain would feel that the guy who'd said had described black people as picking in ease, um and people of the Islamic faith telephone having, boxes <laughs> letter boxes letter boxes yeah. or letter boxes sorry that he was your guy like he's cool he's all yeah. right and Jeremy Corbyn as you said a guy who'd worked with marginalized groups and mixed race people his whole career was suddenly was suddenly magically a racist yeah. because he had the audacity and continues to have the audacity to stand up for Palestinian human rights mm. that's what it comes down to i mean that's of all the the propagandist tricks i think that's the one that's the most powerful i think Tyke, so listen. So now you're not you're an author, singer, uh, one in one eye out the other, um, uh, platforming all your your sketch comedy all over the internet, and and you're going to do a stand up show. Yeah, I'm yeah. doing a stand up. It'll be really interesting to see how you, I suppose, pitch pitch your personality. Yeah, I presume you'll pitch it close enough to your. It'll oh, be yeah. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's me. Yeah, like, yeah. It's me with. It'll with, be cocky, Tyke. With more well thought out jokes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm doing a. It's my first stand up tour. Yeah. Because as I say, I do kind of theatre comedy. But yeah, no. I I kind of felt like there was something about stand up that I was like, no, you need to do this. I think to really earn your 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 badges. I think mm. in the comedy world, you know, like it's the purest form of it. So I want to do this. Um. I'm doing Dublin. On the 26th oh, of September. Really? Yeah, Liberty Hall. Yeah, oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I didn't realise this. Yeah. I didn't realise this was the this was the stand up. Yeah, this oh, is the stand up. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was more theatre comedy. No, okay, no. Okay, yeah, okay. This is the stand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some music in it as well. I'm doing some tunes with my yeah. buddy Sully at the end as well. We do kind of a few anti colonial tunes and stuff it's, that we've written. It's quite good, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so all the details are on tykiki.com and doing Dublin, Cork, right. Belfast, Glasgow, Cardiff, my beloved Cardiff, and London. When's the book out? The book is out, I think, on the 7th of September, but you can pre-order it now. And Portrait of the Piss Artist as a Young Man. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I'll send you the link. You can pre-order it now from like Easton's and loads of other places. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, Tyke. Really, really great. And it's great catching up with you. And um, as I said, I follow you all the time and you're involved in so many so many different arguments and areas. Uh, and uh, Thanks, it's, it's, it's great to see, see how you go. Brilliant to talk to you. Thanks, buddy. And my thanks to Ty Kiki for once more reacquainting himself with the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And my thanks to you for listening. You can get in touch with me, Rosenstock at gmail.com. That's it for a while on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. We're going to take a few weeks off and enjoy our summer and bounce back to you full of vim, vigor and energy. So mind yourself, have a great summer, soak up the rays, rejuvenate, replenish yourself and see you down the road. Take care. Take care.